Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really great to have you here. On this installment, I dive deep with art teacher, school administrator, rock star and wrestling fan, Timmy Rodriguez. We go back to his first days in a band and the first time he met his lifelong creative partner. From the war on public education to chasing the dragon of your first artistic rush and more, this is the story of someone making so much on so many fronts. Here we go. What is up? It's Maddie C. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for pressing play on this episode. Thank you so much if you're already subscribed. If you're not, what are you waiting for? We'll get into the details of that a little later. But thank you. Thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to have you. I'm really great. Uh, I am recording this just a few days before I leave for a rather momentous uh, trip. Uh, I haven't really talked to you guys about this at all. Uh, On uh, the 4th of November, I am leaving to go uh, to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand with my mother. Uh, Many of you are aware, if you've paid attention to the podcast and the blog, and uh, you might know that I went to Morocco this past January with my mom. Uh, My sister just went to Ecuador with my mom. This is the way that my mom wants to spend whatever money she has and the time that she has to spend with her kids, and this is how she wants to do it. And we are absolutely thrilled to be a part of it. Um, I'm not prepared at all. Uh, as you listen to this, if you're listening to this on the day that it posts, I'm just five days away from needing to be packed and having all my paperwork together. So uh, I'm hoping that I can get all my proverbial ducks in a row, but uh, we'll see what happens. I, I'm very excited. I, I'm so lucky that I get to do things like this, and specifically that I get to do them with my mom. Uh, I feel a little guilty leaving the rest of my family behind, and um, I will be continuing the work here. I will have some stuff that will be sort of front-loaded and and ready to go before I leave, and then I will be hopefully able to kind of provide some, if not full, maybe some some brief updates from the road. I'll actually be gone a sum total of 19 days. It's 17 days in country, so it's a it's a pretty intense experience, and I'm 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 looking forward to it, and I'm kind of overwhelmed by it, and I'm sure I'll have lots to share. Uh, it's been busy times at the blog. Uh, as you know, um, we're, we're publishing every day. If you're not already a subscriber, head on over there right now. You can go to whatamimaking.substack.com. Sign up for a free or a paid subscription. Those paid subscriptions go a long, long way. Um, if you're a regular subscriber, regular listener, you're aware that uh, I am now three episodes into my new radio show. Uh, I was asked by the great guys over at Rockin' the Suburbs, a wonderful podcast you should be subscribed and listening to. That's uh, a daily podcast that is terrific. Those guys are amazing and are even better human beings than they are producers of a podcast, and their podcast is great. Um, anyway, they have a an internet radio station called Suburbs Radio, and uh, Jim and Patrick, who run Rockin' the Suburbs, uh, got together with uh, Keith Jacobson, who is the guy who runs the 
radio portion of the the Rock in the Suburbs universe. And Keith asked me if I would be interested in doing a show, and it took me a while to get it together, but I've done three shows now. They're a themed one-hour show. Uh, If you go back and look at the archives at the blog, you can go find uh, a rundown and a link to listen to previous episodes. There are two archived episodes right now that are available on the blog. There will be a third one that I'll be posting uh, on Thursday. And right now the plan is I'll I'll be posting the archived episode every Thursday before the live episode comes out the following Friday. So anyway, uh, go on over there to whatamimaking.substack.com and just search for WAIM Radio. And you can find the details on that, and you can find the replays. And if you go over to suburbsradio.com and search for What Am I Making Radio, you can find my show. And you can always listen every Friday at noon uh, Eastern for free. Uh, I also started a a new thing uh, recently where I started writing a little more about the food that I make at my house. Uh, What am I making could be, you know, what am I making for dinner? Uh, And so I kind of decided I would try a a new thing this week. And so on uh, Sunday of this week... Uh, October 29th, I, uh, I published a dinner and a movie post where I talk a little bit about The Godfather, my experience with it, and uh, you know, a little bit about the immigrant angle of it, maybe focus on that a little more than, than some folks normally do. It's a relatively short piece. And then I dive into a recipe so that you can make meat sauce. Now, you can just use the Clemenza meat sauce, which is in the film, and I even included the YouTube clip before the recipe. And if you want to make that and watch The Godfather, that's great. As I say in the piece, watch The Godfather, take three hours and make a slow-cooked sauce, enjoy it, spend some time with people that you care about. Uh, I'm also uh, now sharing some stories from the road as uh, part of what I'm calling the ride share files, because I'm old enough to remember a, uh, a wonderful detective show with uh, James Garner called The Rockford Files, and uh, he got to drive this sweet Trans Am. And I drive a 2011 Subaru Outback, and so I tried to make it look cool. And if you look at the photo, you'll see that I even tried to use like a, a very Rockford Files-esque font, if you're old enough to know. If you don't know what any of this means, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. I'm writing about my experiences from the front seat of my Outback as I kind of dive into this full-time world of driving rideshare. I'm driving Uber and Lyft 40 hours a week, roughly. I'm driving in the morning. I'm driving at night. I'm driving on the weekends. I'm, I'm kind of doing a little bit of all of it, and I'm going to share my experiences with you. I've got uh, a little intro piece that came out last week. I've got another, another essay that's publishing this week that will tell you a little bit more about the experience of getting started, and then it will also share a couple of early stories that I've already experienced so far. So... I think it's fun. I've had a lot of people ask if I have had any interesting stories. I think a lot of people expect a lot of idiocy and and stupidity, and I've seen some of that. But largely, what I've seen are really, really kind people uh, who are who are really just kind of doing the best they can. And most people are really nice. And the ones that I talk to who are willing to share with me are always fascinating. It it never ceases to amaze me. Uh, I also managed this week to publish uh, the second installment in a three-part series on ranking the best and worst REM records of all time. I'm going from 15 down to 1. A couple of weeks ago, I published uh, numbers 15 through 11, and then this week, I published numbers 10 through 6, and uh, 5 through 1 are coming out in the next couple of weeks. I'll be honest with you, this process has been more complicated difficult and heart-wrenching than I expected it to be. But 
I have been able to listen to a bunch of great records that I love a lot. I specifically have been able to listen to New Adventures and Hi-Fi a ton, and that is a record that I am just constantly and continually amazed by how good it is and how well it holds up and how frequently I am so happy to hear it. Um, My placing in the rankings may not have even reflected that accurately, and I'm feeling a little conflicted about that, but I've made my choices. So go find them. You can go to whatamimaking.substack.com. You can find the first two installments there, and the third one will be coming soon in the next week or two. Uh, don't, uh, Don't forget to head over to the blog and sign up for a subscription if you can. Whatamimaking.substack.com. Your paid subscriptions go an incredibly long way. I'm kind of in the middle of a push right now. I shared this a week or two ago where I really need to kind of get past a little bit of a plateau. We've had some good growth, and then it kind of slowed down. And I'm really proud of this work, and I'm really grateful for the audience, and I'm so, so humbled and grateful that you're here. If you could help me share this with other people, that would be huge. The best ways to do that are to share that either directly through social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, etc., or you can share it via text or an email with a friend. However you think it's best going to find that person, that would be a huge help. If each of you just found two people to pass this along to that, that really enjoyed this and liked it, we could really, really grow this thing really quickly. And that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I want to be realistic about what kind of an audience we can build here, and I want to be careful about it. But I also need it to grow for this to be a sustainable, a sustainable thing. So if you enjoy this and the blog, please make sure you're sharing it with the people in your life. So, oh, one last thing before I jump into our guest. I do have to remember to, to, to do this too. Please, wherever you're getting this pod, specifically if you're getting this from like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or a service like that, go and like this in whatever way you can and then rate it and review it. So you sh- usually there's some kind of a thumbs up thing you can give it. And then there's also a rating system. Like I know on Apple Podcasts, it's a five-star system and you can give it one to five stars and then you can write a brief review. Doing any and or all of that is an enormous way for us to expand our audience on those given platforms. Um, I'm going to be writing about this and doing a little more research soon, but there's some stuff coming down the pike that it appears is going to happen with Spotify's policies as early as like January of 2024 that's going to further really enhance and and uh, encourage people to go find artists and podcasts that already have massively large audiences. So this is going to be a move that is going to benefit large labels, big podcasters, and really famous, already high-profile artists. And what it's going to do is it's going to punish creators who are living kind of at the margins, who are living at maybe just about full-time or just past full-time or not quite full-time. And there's going to be a new set of hurdles to just get paid even as poorly as people were being paid before. So it's more important than ever that if you're appreciating this and that you're sharing it and that and that maybe if you've got a little money, you could even sign up for a paid subscription. That would make a world of difference to me. I will stand down from my soapbox now and thank you again for being here and uh, and begin uh, to introduce my, my friend and uh, guest for this week's episode, uh, Mr. Timmy Rodriguez. Timmy is a fantastic teacher and now school administrator. And like every great educator that I have ever met, 
he is completely invested in those students and in the process of public education. Like so many musicians I know who are great educators, and they are myriad. Timmy is nimble on his feet and can pivot to navigate the whims and moods even of the youngest audience. That innate flexibility came in terribly handy during the early days of the pandemic. Left isolated and teaching completely remotely, Timmy struggled deeply to connect with his students and convey the necessary lessons and support for each given day. Stuck at a computer and staring just into blank faces all day long simply wasn't working. So Timmy invented the Mr. Rodriguez show, a self-produced PBS-style art lesson show all powered by Timmy's wit and creativity that could be broadcast on YouTube. His kids loved it, and they loved him. We talk about creating a culture through expectation. And we talk about the war ongoing against public education and the effects that it is already having in the classroom. Timmy shares his story of learning some practices to be more mindful and in the moment, and how those have even informed his teaching, his leadership, and his parenting styles. In Timmy, I see an example of the great things that art and music can teach us if we practice them with regularity and dedication. He's used his creativity and his DIY bona fides to navigate a once-in-a-lifetime educational crisis, and he wound up reaching in a wider audience than ever. As he says, a teacher puts on seven shows a day. So let's dive in with musician, educator, artist, and showman, Timmy Rodriguez. I love playing with those guys. It's it's four hours and it doesn't even feel like work anymore. I know, right? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's I. It, I feel so. This is probably as good a place as any to start, Timmy. I yeah. feel so grateful to just go and play for thirty people at a beer garden with my favorite friends in the world. Like it's just a gift. Um, and so that's why. That's why I dedicate time to it. That even though I'm not getting paid, like because it just it just it soothes my soul and it keeps me sane. You know, I mean, you're oh, yeah. really you're a really busy dude and you're carving out time for this shit. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I mean, the last time we played there, I it was two weekend yeah two weekends ago, and uh, <laughs> I literally like got in my car uh, right from work drove straight to Horrocks, which is an hour drive yeah, uh, from my school and uh, had enough time to like set my gear up, grab a beer and start playing. And I was like, I was like the kind of grumpy tired. Yeah. Like when, you know, you've worked all week, it's Friday. You're, you're just grizzled. And uh, like, I was grumpy. I didn't even say hi to a couple of other band members, that sort of deal. And then yeah. about three songs onto it, like Danny, who I usually stand right next to, you know, just looked up to me and she goes, hi, Timmy. And I was just like, hi, Danny. I'm I'm sorry. I'm grumpy. And I gave her a big hug. And I was just like, I'm glad to be here. And then it was just like the rest of the night, just like 
the stars aligned and it was just one of my favorite shows that I ever played ever, even though he got asked to turn down a couple times. Like it just, it aligned. And I was just like, I'm, I'm all right. I'm doing this, you know, with, with, you know, some of my best friends that I've had in my entire life. And some of the friends you've had the longest in your life. Absolutely. You know, and that's the other thing that's really beautiful about your story. So let's, uh, let's kind of start at the beginning. So, I mean, this is sort of a nice extension for people who listen to the, the the pod with Tommy and Danielle, because you're such an integral part, not only of Wild Honey, but you and Timmy, or, or you and Tommy go back so far. Oh, yeah. so, so talk to me about the sort of the genesis of that relationship and then how it relates to the music that the two of you have made. So uh, Tommy McCord, the man, the myth. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I was in a pop punk band called Two Minute Nothing, and it was my very, very first band. And uh, we played uh, the second show that we ever played. We played at the Ionia Armory um, in downtown Ionia. And this was like my first out of town show, first playing a show with bands, the people that I'd never met. Okay. So. I go into this giant place and we're the first one to play. And, you know, we did our thing and then we hung around and watched the other bands. And uh, there were these three dudes that came up onto the stage and one of them had long hair down over his face. He was wearing this maroon blazer and he was playing bass and he was playing this real trippy like bass line. And I remember I turned to my uh, my bandmate at the time and I was like, dude, that that 25 year old is like so good at playing bass. And then he like switched the instrument and he grabbed the guitar and then kept playing and sang and then went back to bass. And come to find out that was my first experience with Tommy McCord, who was not 25 at the time. He was 15 when I first met him. And uh, it just kind of blossomed into an SN, MSN messenger relationship of just talking about music. Um, him and I had a love for the Beatles right away. Oh, nice. And then um, my senior year of high school, I graduated high school and quit that band like I thought I needed to do. And... Um, Went to Northern for Northern Michigan University for a semester and came back and my old couple of my old bandmates wanted to start a new band. In the time that I had left, Tommy replaced me in my band. Uh-huh. That band broke up. The old band members wanted to start a new band with Tommy and me. And ever since I've been 19, I've been in a band with Tommy McCord in some fashion. What was that band? The band that we formed was called My Apology. It was a grittier <clears throat> pop punk band. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you guys were 19. Yep. Okay. So that was 18 years ago? Uh, that was 2005. Yeah. That's 18 years ago. I did, yep. I did have the math right. Yep. <laughs> so... What did you do something for the when we did the Beatles tribute at Max? 
I know the plurals played. I couldn't remember if if you were a part of that or not. No, no, that that, that was, was one legendary. of the very that was one of the very first things that Tommy says that was the first thing that he ever did with any of us. That was a legendary story because that opened the floodgates of just people that I met secondhand through Tommy was because of that show. I had no idea until I talked to him a few years ago. I had no idea like what an, what a, what a big deal that was for them. I I had Mm -hmm. no, I had no clue that that, that that really felt like their kind of coming of age moment in some respects. And that he kind of sees that as a sort of a stepping stone. And I, Oh yeah. I didn't know that. And I, it makes me feel really happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, you were behind the, the George Harrison thing though, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So 17. Yeah. Which, which in a way kind of makes it come full circle. So Mm -hmm. like I asked them to do this Beatles thing and then, and then you guys, the, the young whippersnappers as it were, (laughs) uh uh ask the old guys to participate in your dark horse tribute and uh i just i think that was when tommy shared that story with me and that was like Mm -hmm. it just it kind of all came full circle yeah i remember i remember tommy like calling me like the day after that show and being like you should have been at this show yada 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 wow yeah back when people called each other yeah back me and tommy used to call each other quite a bit when we were 19 yeah you probably (laughs) talked on the phone every day Uh, when, I was much, 19, yeah. when I was 19, I talked to my best friend on the phone every day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, like we would be on the phone watching, uh, like we would watch an entire uh, like baseball postseason game on the phone with each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's totally stupid. Um, so you go on, you have a you have a bunch of bands and you've been in a band with with Tommy ever since. But what but you've sort of branched off and done some other musical stuff. I mean, uh, I would I would dare to say that my most beloved uh, GTG entity is is one of your bands karm that like oh, that, yes. that band has a really special place in my heart i yeah. really miss, miss that band dearly karm was karm was the first real attempt at me to kind of just do my own thing because i live in ada near grand rapids and tommy and all the rest of them they live in lansing and so just you know through time me finishing my college uh, starting a family. Um, I needed an outlet <laughs> and I, I reached out to the only people that I knew, uh, a bunch of Lansing people, Ryan Horky, Pat Hogan of, um, Jason alarm and, um, Violet. Um, I can't remember her last name now, but, uh, at the time she went by Levi and, uh, they all came to this basement spot and we had our first practice here. And I actually, it was the first time I played uh, keyboards in a band. Very oh, wow. inspired by, very inspired by like, you know, fountains of Wayne and um, super chunk. Uh, I heard, a, I, I, I always super chunk. Yeah. Uh, I got a lot of cars out of that band too. I got some, okay. I got some, some like that first cars record. Maybe it was the keys. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I just like, I don't, maybe I saw that band two or three times, but I just, I was fucking in love with it. I loved it so much. Uh, yeah, I, you guys- I, it was a, like, uh, it was just this weird, like, I got really into pop punk and like, uh, melodic, you know, uh, 
you know, I remember hearing Fountains of Wayne when I was in high school with Stacy's mom and being like, oh, this song's okay. This song's cool. Right. And then I, you know, listened to that entire album like, wow, this is like good stuff. And then, you know, I always butcher the bass player, Adam Schisling or something like that. Um, oh, Schlesinger. Yeah. Schlesinger. Yeah. He, you know, I followed his path like into him, you know, doing Fountains of Wayne, uh, Tinted Windows with, you know, Taylor Hansen. Writing the songs for that for that yeah. thing you do. And then that thing you he wrote, do. And he wrote all the music for that. Yeah. Like, I love that soundtrack yeah. pretty much more than any other soundtrack. Um, One of so the, just, uh, I remember uh, for those, for those listeners who are old enough to remember, there used to be a, a public television show called Siskel and Ebert at the movies. And they used to sit down and they would, they would talk about, you know, four or five movies from the week that were coming out and they would, they would do reviews and shit. And every year they would do like this Oscar show. And the year that that thing you do was nominated for best original song, they both thought it should win. And their case was that song is incredibly good and incredibly catchy. And that's still the case after you have to listen to it a dozen times during the film and you're still happy to hear it when the credits play at the end. Like, is there mm -hmm. a better, is there a better advertisement for a great song than that? Oh man. The way that they, just the way that they turned it into like its own, like it's this band that had one hit wonder in the mid sixties during the height of Beatlemania. And, you know, they would go, they would go perform it on like, you know, the talk shows, the late night talk shows and stuff. Yeah. Like that was, I, I had never uh, seen anything that like I, that. I think maybe the thing, the scene that I love the most in that film is the first time they hear their band played on the radio and in the, in the <laughs> store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the deal is I'm sure lots of people will know this when they hear us talking about it, but Liv Tyler, who's the girlfriend of the lead singer is walking down the street and she puts like a little earphone in and she's listening to a transistor radio and she hears their song getting played and she runs into the store and they all freak out and turn on all the radios in this little like appliance and furniture store. And it the the joy of it is so genuine and anybody who's ever had their own song played on the radio has had that moment yep you've i remember pulled that. a car you, you've pulled a car over and gone like pounded on a steering wheel and gone i can't mm -hmm. believe this is happening or you've had tears running down your eyes while another friend shakes you and says this is real like we've all had yeah. that moment i remember the first time that one of my bands were uh my old band the breakups uh used to be or got played on msu radio and this was like at the very beginning stages of where you could uh listen online okay. so i had my computer set up to the big stereo at this house i was living in east town and it started to come on and i ran to the basement stairs where i could just be alone and listen to this my my song this song that i wrote that's on these radio. That's on these radio airwaves that other people are listening to is really weird and uh, humbling and like it was just a feeling I had never felt before, you know. So that scene, like totally, I resonate with that scene so well. It's it's so beautifully rendered because it's like I said, it's so just absolutely joyful. Like it's mm -hmm. just this sense of and in in a way. That's kind of the dragon that you're always going to chase, mm -hmm. right? You're going to have that oh, yeah. first rush of getting played on radio or playing to like a real audience. That's not just your mom and your neighbors. Yeah. You're always going to be chasing that dragon. And uh, I, 
I, I think for some of us, that's it is it is an addiction like that. And it's why we don't stop. You know? And I think uh, you can find different levels of that. Like, oh, wow, like I'm chasing this dragon. But wait, here's another dragon over here that just yes. totally, whoa, that was amazing, you know? Um, and And you can, I think, at least the people that I think that you and I know, we've learned to pick our spots and kind of accept like, okay, we're not going to get that high again but we're gonna go get a high that is absolutely. we're gonna go be functional addicts <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> if i'm gonna take my metaphor we're gonna be functional we're gonna be we're gonna be functional alcoholics while we're while we're out here chasing our dragons i'm mixing my and drug it's like metaphors. it's like you know one crowd you are playing for a bunch of people you don't know and they love you and then the next crowd like it's 50 percent your your friends who have like followed you and kind of just uh, pay attention to like the different stuff that you do. And so when they come to you People afterwards, who are engaged just in the like, stuff you're making. Yeah. But then they, they come up to you afterwards and they compliment you all. Oh, like this baseline you did, da da da. Like that's a different high too, you know? It's, oh, uh, and there, and yet, I think the real reason I know for a fact, at least in my band specifically, I know to a person, the real reason that we do it is because we keep meeting these incredible people. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be in your life and I wouldn't be in Tommy and Danielle's life if it weren't for music. Absolutely. <clears throat> I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a fraction of the joy that I have in my life without it because of the people that it brought me. Mm-hmm. And if that's, I mean, if we're really talking about chasing dragons, that's the shit right there. I mean, that's the shit, you know, yeah. like when I talked to Tommy and Danielle about Wild Honey, they weren't like, oh, our favorite show was the one where we played to the most people or played mm-hmm. in the coolest place or got paid the most. It was, no, it was when we all took our family into the tip top of the Keweenaw Peninsula. Oh, man. And we all got to be together for a long weekend. And we did that oh, twice, that was... you know, and it's like, and it's like, I, what? A, okay, so I've I've had this philosophy for a really long time where we have this totally fucked up concept of what wealth is mm-hmm. we've 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 decided that wealth is money and property and we have forgotten that that wealth is also time and love and autonomy mm-hmm. and i am finding as i get older i'm leaning to one group of those things way more than the other mm-hmm. and i'm finding that i'm a pretty wealthy person and this is an example of that you you have this job, which we're going to talk about in a second. You have this mm-hmm. job that, you know, it requires a lot of you, both in, in terms of your time and your talents, but also in terms of your just your emotional output, your bandwidth. Yeah. But you still make time to do this other thing because it's so enriching and because it's it's providing a genuine sense of wealth. And I mean, and, and when it when it comes down to that, like, since I've been, you know, 16 years old, I've, I've played in bands nonstop, except for a brief, you know, six months off when I was in Northern, uh, it just became what I did. And it was like, you know, I'd go to college and when I was in college, I'd go to class during the week. Thursday night rolled around. If I didn't have a gig, I had to be at my friend's gig, you know, and that just became a way of life. Like, uh, (laughs) I mean, in college, like dating was secondary to playing in a band or 
being around my friends' bands. It was just like that was priority over everything else. I just I had to be around it. Uh, it was the cent- it was the center of my world too. I mean, it was just it was all consuming. Mm-hmm. And, you, yep. and it can't be all consuming forever, right? You have to at some point jettison that whatever it is. Um, so at some point you, I mean, you said you went to college, but at some point, like you got a quote unquote real job and, <laughs> and, uh, and eventually wound up, wound up teaching, teaching art. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, uh, middle school level. Do I have that right? Uh, young fives through eighth grade, young fives through eighth grade. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so middle school plus. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. tell me about that experience, about what it's like to a, what it's like to teach that age range kind of in this era let's Mm -hmm. let's start there um i i appreciate the fact that the range of ages there is every single hour every single day is different like there's never been a time of life where two kindergarten classes are the same or (laughs) two third grade classes are the same you know i my schedule was uh you know, you would, this is up until this year, I've, I've recently moved up into administration, but um, you would have kindergarten right after lunch. And then right after kindergarten left, that's when I had my middle school for two periods. And just the juxtaposition of why this kindergarten kid is crying to why this middle schooler is crying is just worlds of difference and you have to react and you're always on your feet i'm i'm not somebody that could ever sit in a cubicle or you know next to a conveyor belt like mad respect for anybody you know that gets joy from that awesome i'm somebody that has to do something different every single day and teaching education has given me that to the max (laughs) Uh, probably to a fault, I would imagine (laughs) what I know about public education. Um, so, so the experience of teaching, one of the reasons I thought it would be really great to talk about this is how, how do you feel like you instilled a love of art in your kids or was that there already? And you felt like you had to foster it. I, I, you know, it all comes back to a moment when I was in high school. We had this, I, for my freshman and sophomore year, we had a an art teacher who was very, I don't know, she just didn't connect well. And she ended up leaving. And then we got this new art teacher, this first year art teacher, um, his name was Oz Rinky. And his first day he walks in and he's introducing himself and he's like, you know, my name's, you know, Oz Rinky. This is my first year. I graduated from Western. Uh, just some things about me. I, I play drums in a band and it was just like, I'm going to talk to that guy. <laughs> and he got done and I like moseyed my way over. I was like, so you're in a band, man. I'm in a band too. And he's just like, cool like what do you play we did like those pleasantries yeah and then just over time he showed me the the i the license to be creative if that makes any sense 
Um, it does. I had fulfilled all the art credits by the time I was a senior and he let me do an independent study. And one day I was just sitting there and I had the lack of inspiration going on. And so I took a canvas and I, I painted some stick figures that, you know, kind of looked like tribal esque, but they were just stick figures. And he's like, Hey, Rodriguez, what are you working on? I'm just like, I was just like, ah, oh, man, he's going to get at me right here. Cause I was just, I was just going through the motions trying to do something. And I went and went up to his desk and I was just like, Hey man, you know, this is what I'm doing. I've just I haven't had much of an inspiration lately. And I was just trying to give you something, you know? And I'm like, I apologize for this. And he looked at it and he was just like, what are you talking about, man? I'm just like, it's just a bunch of stick figures. He's just like, man, you got perspective going on here. You got one right in the foreground. You got a ton in the background. They're like dancing. Like there's a lot of movement going on in your line work. And I was just like, are you for real? He's like, dude, it's art, man. And that was like, uh, my head exploded. The, the ceiling came off the art room. I could see the universe in that moment. And I took that and every single day that I taught in the art room, that was my mentality was I just have to show these kids that dude, it's art. Like there are rules, but it's like, I mean, it's just like music. There's, there's rules and boundaries that you can bend and you can manipulate to become your own. And not only is it, you know, something that, uh, is external that you that you show off and put on the wall, but it's something that also is just like right inside. And that's how I viewed art every single day that I taught it. And I, I mean, I still, I make my way down to my old art room <laughs> to still catch that, you know, and still throw those words of wisdom out. Do you, did a, you uh, did you tell Osrinki that he had that impact on you? Oh, I've told him, I've told him that. And he actually, uh, when I broke off into my, uh, it was a very full circle, uh, the sleeping Timmy band. Yeah. Uh, my solo project, he played drums for me. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And it was a very, just like, Hey man, you, you did a lot for me. And he was also like the, the teacher too, that would like walk into the classroom and come up to me and like, throw me a Foo Fighters album and just be like, listen to this one. I'd be like, absolutely. Like not only did he like totally mold me into the artist um, and teacher that I ultimately became like, he showed me the blue album for the first time by Weezer, <laughs> like very important albums. He would walk in and just be like, we're going to play this one today. Give it a listen. Let me know what you think. <laughs> Um, I, I, first of all, I love this as somebody who's, who's been on that end of it, who's had that person to say, Hey, you heard this yet? <laughs> uh, I also love it as an older brother who did that a lot for my younger sister and didn't really do it with like thinking like, Oh, she's going to think I'm cool. Or like, this is going to have a big impact on her. And then mm -hmm. she has one particular story where she talks about this day where I had moved out. 
And I took her to go see Backbeat at this little art theater in East Lansing. And I took her out to lunch. And like that day meant the world to her. And, you know, I didn't know that at the time. I was just trying to be nice to her for the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And like, we have the ability to have these amazing kind of impacts and just massive shifts on people's lives. By yeah. simply by just engaging with them and saying, hey, I love this thing. Do you love this thing? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of why I started doing this whole thing in the first place. It's yeah. like, people are doing amazing shit and I know them. Why don't, why wouldn't I talk to them about it? <laughs> you know? Um, so, so you like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to give you like a whole, like Mr. Holland's opus moment, but like, clearly this, this experience of this person opening the world to you mm -hmm. really informed your artistic outlook and your career choice. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I, go ahead. I, uh, you know, I, at this point, you know, I had, I had floated around just like, you know, doing all the things that little kids want to be when they grow up, you know, Oh, I want to be a baseball player, you know, something like that. And when I got into high school, there was, a, I was like really into computers and, and, uh, I had a technology teacher who kind of murdered that love oh. and so i was lost for a while and... so to stop you for a second timmy you, you actually saw both sides of that right yeah yeah you saw somebody foster your love of a thing and you saw somebody else kind of snuff it out mm -hmm. and you can see that in the hands of a of, of an educator and i won't even say that it's a good or a bad educator but somebody who's capable of of sort of fostering that in a kid i'll say she was a bad educator okay <laughs> there, there and i'll say as much as I will be the champion of public education and mm. public educators, there are bad educators. There are people, no, there are people who aren't cut out for it. And I therefore, will. and therefore they're not good at being educators. So they're bad educators. That doesn't make them bad people. And, you know, I, you know, along my journey up until here, like you, you, you look back and you reflect like, why are they still doing their job? if they're obviously miserable, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, I look at this, I look at this job as something that no matter what I've given a thousand percent to every day that I walk in, you know, um, I know that when I'm in front of a room of students, uh, me being a, me being in a bad mood is not their fault. So you have to, put i mean you do seven shows daily when you're a teacher you know eight shows daily um you gotta you gotta put on the the face and you gotta get out on stage and um that's one thing that i've learned and i really foster and you see looking back you know the teachers that i've had that didn't do that and i mean i i had those teachers right up until i graduated college where it was just like looking back like why are you doing this you know um i had a uh just a little side story here when i uh finished i went to uh, college at kendall college of art and design um and they're you know partnered through fair state university where i got my teaching certificate and i had a student teach um up in greenville a very you know rural conservative yeah. town and uh, I, 
it was a high school that I, I was at. And the teacher that I had, that I'm the mentor teacher that I worked with, um, was one of few words. And me being completely naive, just thought that, you know, going through this student teaching experience, like, okay, I guess no words is good, right? Like, I must be doing an all right job because teachers, from my experience, good teachers tell you, hey, let's fix this, you know? So two weeks before I finished my student teaching career, this teacher failed me and I had to completely drop everything. I couldn't complete the semester. I had to uh, take an F for that semester and I had to redo everything again the following semester uh, with a different teacher, mind you. Um, and just for the, our listeners who don't know how it works to get your teaching certificate, not only do you have to work an entire semester again without getting paid, you also pay full college credit, <laughs> the privilege of teaching children for free. Yep. Yep. And so uh, that was like a, that was like a moment where it was just like, why, why didn't this teacher say anything you know because it literally was like parent teacher conferences were the next day we're sitting at our desks i'm talking about setting up a little display of art she's like cool that sounds great i remember her walking out the door being like all right have a nice day I'm like thank you i'm gonna get this stuff and then i'm gonna take off i hear my phone beep like voicemail message i walked and i checked it and it's my placement officer at kendall and she proceeds to tell me that my mentor teacher has failed me and says that uh, she doesn't think I'm doing a good job and that I'm done. And I was like, what? She just walked out. <laughs> Did you ever get a chance to talk to this person? Oddly, uh, about this was the fall semester. So about October me and my my girlfriend at the time now my wife ended up renting a house from her <laughs> oh my god so we ended up i still had to like see her but it was like uh it was one of those moments where it was just like i will if i have to see you i'm going to give you my rent money and then i'm going to turn around and walk away and then as soon as i can i'm going to move out of this house yeah i was i never i never touched base with her again i have no idea okay i hope i have no idea i don't want to say i hope that she's not in education but if if that's how she teaches i hope she's not in education yeah it was uh it was pretty brutal that's not teaching nope no but i will say it, it was a blessing in disguise the following uh following semester i got placed into an elementary setting in inner city and that was 5,000 times more rewarding. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Where uh, inner city Grand Rapids? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, right there. Uh, what was that environment like? It was, it was pretty eye opening. Um, I grew okay. up in, you know, I grew up in Lake Edessa, which was a very rural town. And then I uh, moved to Grand Rapids to East Town, which is a very kind of like hipster area. Yeah. Um, so, my inner city 
you know, uh, experiences were very, very limited. So to, you know, when I was a kid, if a teacher got, said you're in trouble, I would have been mortified. Right. I here I am telling this kid they're in trouble and they're just looking at me like, what are you going to do about it? Right. And these <laughs> and are, was and like, again, whoa, these are know? like, like you're saying, these are like elementary kids. These are not, yes. these are not 13 yes. year olds that we're talking about. These are like seven year olds. Yes. Yeah. And so that was, that was very eye opening. And then just seeing the, you know, okay, they're misbehaving, but that wasn't all there was to it. You had to, if you genuinely cared, you had to figure out what was making them upset and how can you fix it all while telling them, you know, it's okay. It's, you know, it's going to be all right. Hey, you know, I love you, man. Like you're going to be, you're fine. I'm here. Mr. Rodriguez is here, you know, you know, Timmy, um, we've, we've talked, we've talked a lot about what you do with these kids and how good you are with them. And, and knowing you the way that I do, I don't find any of that surprising. What I do think is interesting is that we've talked a lot about what's expected of an educator mm -hmm. and we haven't talked about actual academic rigor at all mm -mm. because there's so much, because that's not, I'll, I'll be, I don't want to tell you what you already know, but that's not the hurdle. The hurdle anymore is not getting the kids to understand and comprehend this information. It's getting them in the building. It's yeah. getting them to be safe, to mm -hmm. get them to be on six or more hours sleep, to get them mm -hmm. fed and clothed and cleaned. Yeah. And, and, and we are not talking about, I mean, I just left a job where I worked in inner city schools and places like Lake Odessa and everything mm -hmm. in between. Mm -hmm. This is happening everywhere. Yep. Kids don't show up. They don't have food. They don't have a safe place to live. Mm -hmm. Dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. and it was a, it was like you know you would see a kid and they would be yeah i mean they they would smell and you'd still have to get right up in their face and just you know talk about their artwork or listen to their stories and um i learned that a lot of their circumstances is not it's not their fault oh god so, don't you mean they might be ornery in the morning because they haven't had breakfast like right. that's not your fault that's not their fault either so let's just get them fed <laughs> get them yeah. fed so they and can so, get learning and, you know and so that that becomes the thing it's well we can't we can't do this without without breakfast so we got to give them breakfast mm -hmm. we can't do this without lunch and we can't do this without dinner and we can't do this without before care without aftercare and i'm all these things are crucially important but I, as a, as a person who has invested my own life in public education, in my business, and has a family that's done that as well, mm -hmm. and my mom taught for 30 plus years. And one of the things I find so frustrating is that you have, you have a community that seems to think that you're not doing as much as you're supposed to with what you have, when what you're being given is a fraction of what is required to do all of the things you're being asked. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get down a rabbit hole of like political nonsense. But one of the things I find really frustrating right now is that we have underfunded public education. And then at the same time, we have in many cases made it easier for teachers to be vilified. 
and it's caused a shortage. And so just from a totally logistical perspective, are you seeing this in your day-to-day life? And what does that you know, look like for the kids on the front lines? You know, Matt, I never once in my life questioned my career choices. Never until the pandemic. The 2020 rolled around and the pandemic happened and it was like the the craziest audible that I ever had to pull in my teaching career. And it went from like, okay, all these kids are physically in my classroom. I can do uh, examples right in front of their face to, okay, I have to somehow try to do this on a computer screen. Oh, okay. Um, to turning that over to realizing, okay, we're all coming back now. You know, um, the school year starting back up. Okay. But we all have to wear masks in my head. I'm like, sweet. Well, at least we're physically in the classroom. And then the next thing I know, the biggest argument in the world um, probably not the world in the United States is mask or no mask. Yeah. And then come to find out like teachers are caught in the middle of this. And all I wanted to do was do my job. All I wanted to do was teach these kids art and I wanted them in the classroom safely. And here are all these external things just, going on and on and on and i mean every time you turned on the news it was da 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 da. so it was very weird like it wore me down to the point where i was just like i i don't know if i can do this i'm you know and i'm not i'm not sitting on here saying like hey you should wear your mask oh you shouldn't wear your mask i think we all know where i stand with that but um i was just more happy to have the kids in the classroom like they were physically there I could connect with them that way, you know, and, uh, okay. So let's, let's go to the the next obvious step, which is what I'm talking to people about still, even though I'm not day-to-day in, in schools is the effect residually speaking that the pandemic had. And now all of these other discipline issues and, uh, social, uh, etiquette, ignorance, or whatever you want to call it, this, this new world of kids who have gone from, late elementary to early high school over the space of the pandemic, you know, from 2019 to 2023, you know, they went from a world where they went to school every day to, okay, nobody taught me how to be anything other than a a child until I showed up as a freshman or an eighth grader. Mm -hmm. And now they're, and now they're, and now, and now, you know, like you hear people use crazy words like, well, they're savages and it's a war zone. And it's like, whoa, 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 time out. Let's let's be careful about the adjectives we're using. But like, clearly, it's not been a good progression. It it has been a I mean, coming out of the pandemic was was one of the hardest years that I had ever taught in my life. Um, And you saw the, you know you had kids that were kindergartners. My own, my own child was a kindergartner when this, when everything shut down and, or no, he was in preschool. So we had to enter him into kindergarten in this mask world. 
right. where his class could shut down in an in an instant and they could go all virtual for two weeks. Um, you saw that effect that like that lack of like full on social just being around other kids and being kids like you had to be so careful about what they did and where they were sitting in class just like things you didn't think about like i i would have i would look at my room and be like okay i have to have 30 kids in this room but they have to be like three feet apart you know this is this is insane so you would see these behavior issues arise and then the next year you would see that same group still have those behavior issues and you chalk it back too is just like okay there was like a found kindergarten is foundational so foundational so you pull these kids out of that just like social setting like it's i mean kindergarten is just to me yeah you're learning you know your letters your numbers but the social aspect is so important you're learning Letting how to be around be. other human beings. Right. So that lack of it, you just, you instantly saw like, okay, these kids have regressed, you know, where a second grader should be right now. They're not there. And so it's finally, finally starting to come out of it, you know, where you see like, okay, they've had a couple years of quasi normalness, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I kind of, uh, I kind of feel like we stop seeing it does that mean that there isn't some sort of residual a trauma is probably the wrong word but uh effect you know just because we can't see it anymore doesn't mean that it's not there i guess oh absolutely that's the thing that's the thing i wonder about you know i mean it's it's like whenever we're trying to i mean you do this every day you're creating a culture at school i'm sure Mm -hmm. you talk about it that way you know a culture is defined by what you accept and what you don't accept it's pretty simple. Um, right. You have a basic understanding that these are the things we do. These are the things we don't do. And that over time defines your culture. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of look at that and I go, are we still dealing with those sort of same cultural norms and expectations now in a post COVID world or in a, in a with COVID world? I, I wonder if maybe it's a little bit like letting the genie out of the bottle and you can't shove it back in. Oh, no, no. Like, like I, I, you know, and so I sort of feel like we had this opportunity, especially at education, we had this opportunity to kind of reinvent so many things that were broken. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think in many respects, what we did was we broke some of the things that worked. (laughs) And I, and I think we've rebuilt them in some ways and I'm, this is a really accurate word because I'm both excited about and also scared. I'm anxious about what the future holds in regard to that hangover from COVID. And I'm wondering if you have some thoughts about what that might look like. So one thing I mean, like there were many, many good things that I felt like personally for me, professionally, it meant more. Um, coming out of covid like i learned so many ways just to teach mm-hmm. and one of the ways that i did that was i realized like okay this format say like there's 30 of you right here and i'm yeah. teaching art like that that didn't work for me 
So what I did is I took this Mr. Rodriguez and I turned him into a character and I created what was called the Mr. Rodriguez show, which was basically me taking Bob Ross and doing these Bob Ross, you know, paintings, but then also incorporating, you know, comedic twists to it or reoccurring bits, you know? So those would be my lessons where I would, you know, Hey, today we're going to go hunt for a T-Rex in the backyard of the school. And then once we find the T-Rex, we're going to draw a portrait of the T-Rex. So I, you know, for example, I videotape myself going through the woods behind my school and I interspliced scenes from Jurassic Park and like, oh, there's a stegosaurus right there. We saw a stegosaurus, but we're looking for the T-Rex, you know? And we finally find the T-Rex and I'm just like, oh, I've never seen a T-Rex before in real life. This is amazing. All right, let's get to work. We need to draw them, you know? And then it cuts to me doing, you know, Bob Ross style here. Let's draw a T-Rex, you know? Um, and through that, I've, I realized, you know, this different aspect of a way to teach. And then I met my friend, Brad Becker, who, uh, is the behavior specialist at my school and he specializes in what's called mindfulness. And oh, that is just, familiar. that is just keeping yourself in the present. And I will say that, you know, the, the tricks that he taught me about just like, Hey, stop, collect yourself, take a few deep breaths, reset. Um, really helped me get through those tough, you know, post pandemic days where him and I would just like, he'd come to my classroom and I would just be like, dude, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, Hey man, let's just take a minute. And then he would like, let's just like, you know, think about the big picture, you know, we're here for the kids. And then he'd like, tell me like, Hey, when you get to school tomorrow, um, do do a mindful walk into the building. Just pay attention to the way the sensation of your of your heel to your toe when you're walking into the building. And just take deep breaths as you're walking in. He's like, and you're an artist. Like, look at the colors. And now that's what I do every time I come to school. Like I'm the first person that gets to my school in the morning. And I am intentional to park far away from the door. So I can do that mindful walk in. And I mean, it's dark when I get to work right now. So I just try to find all the colors that I can see in the gas station across the street. Or, you know, if the stars are still out, just try to like pay attention to the sky, you know? Um, so those were like, that was like a big thing that came out of the post pandemic uh, school days is uh, that idea, just, that idea of intentionality and mindfulness is um it's something I've struggled with my whole life because I have mm -hmm. anxiety and depression. And so therefore I'm always stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to get my brain out into the real world. And so it's one of the reasons that music is so great for me because you can't not commit yourself to it fully. And so mm -hmm. I'm able to use it as a way to push away the, the shit that would be occupying this space if I weren't playing guitar. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I think like to, to pinpoint on what you just said, I think being a musician, being on stage and messing up in front of people, you know, you have bad shows. We have bad shows every once oh, yeah. in a while. You, you miss that note. Oh, you know, when I was like 19, if I would have, if I'm supposed to hit a, you know, a G and I hit a, you know, 
B flat and it's noticeable, that would have devastated me and I would have thought about it for weeks. Yeah. But now it's just like, oh, wrong note, doom. Yep. That's how I teach, you know? And it's it taught yeah, me you're, to you're gonna hand bone it once in a while. Yeah, it taught me to, you know, just go with it. And, you know, I'm goofy on stage, I'm goofy in front of the kids. It kind of goes hand in hand performance wise. One of the things I, I loved about the Mr. Rodriguez thing was that that was an outcropping of, of where it felt like necessity was the mother of invention. Like you, you wouldn't have done this if you didn't have to. And now that you had to, you were the perfect person for the job. Right? <laughs> and it was, it was fun. You know, um, I like, I got so into it that, you know, the first, the first couple episodes that I did, I always had to do like the opening credits, you know, and uh, I used, I don't know if you're, if you're a professional wrestling fan at all, but I used Owen Hart's theme song from the <laughs> mid nineties. And then it was just like, well, you know, I'm a musician. I should just write my own theme song, you know? So I wrote this very like punk rock, Mr. Rodriguez show, Mr. Rodriguez show. And, uh, once we all started coming back in, you'd have kids that walk into my classroom and just be like, it's Mr. Rodriguez show, Mr. Rodriguez show. That's I'm like, this, awesome. is, this is, this is cool, but this is weird because it's like my two worlds are colliding right now. And I like it. <laughs> Dude. I think to me, that is, that is a, the power of creativity and mm -hmm. in, in your teaching. Mm -hmm. And B is a direct indication of how pliable and open and ready for this these kids are. They're so like everybody sees them as being so cynical and so hardened and bitter mm -hmm. and lazy and whatever. Like these kids are all just fucking scared and jazzed and the scared shows up more than the jazz. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and the, and the truth is that once in a while, they let you see them singing the theme to your show. <laughs> that I mean, that's true, and that you know, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, really, that's aren't that isn't that? I mean, as an educator, I mean, that's a silly metaphor, but aren't you just waiting for those moments where they open themselves up that way, and you go, okay, yeah. you're oh, gonna yeah. let me in for five oh, minutes, and now all of a sudden, I got you, mm -hmm. right? Like I had this, I had this teacher. Uh, my parents moved me to a different school when I was in seventh grade which is the worst possible time to move. Oh, uh, awful. and I fucking hated it. And I wasn't happy in sixth grade at home, but at least it was home mm -hmm. and I was miserable. And I got, I had this one, uh, I had this one hour where I did like a, used to be able to do it. What, what, you were a TA, you, mm -hmm. you were a teacher's assistant. So mm -hmm. you like run and make photocopies or uh, prep the film strip, you know, cause we used to, have to do AV stuff. It wasn't all done on a computer, kids. Wow, um, I've seen freaks and geeks. And and, <laughs> and uh and so and so he was talking to me and kind of you know kind of trying to make me feel welcome as the new kid. And uh he found he was the history teacher and he found out I was a history dork. Mm -hmm. And he kind of slowly would tell me cool little weird trivial facts. And that was how I got him to, or how he got me to feel comfortable and to trust him. And then eventually he would, he would say things to me like, you know, Matt, you've got two ears and one mouth. My father always said I should use those in proportion. 
you know, and that's something that I still say mm -hmm. 40 years later, almost, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like that, you know, I've told that man in my adulthood what that meant to me. I don't feel like that was enough of a thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you are truly changing people's lives, dude. It's, you know, and the thing is every day you, you, you don't, look at it that way and it's it's hard to see it from that perspective because every single day it you're doing it differently um you know i have a student that i've known him since he was in, in he was in kindergarten very impulsive you know blurts out a lot um and then as he grew older it became more of a behavior issue and now now, um, my jump into administration, I am a dean of middle school. So I run the middle school at my school. And um, I see him now and he, he's getting in trouble a lot and doing the same things just on a, you know, a bigger scale. And I realized that, okay, what am I going to do? What What's going to help him if I just send him to detention all the time? If I just call his mom all the time? Like, what is that going to help? Cause that's what he gets everywhere else. So I took it to, all right, I'm going to go have a heart to heart with him. I'm going to pull him out of class and I'm just going to like lay on the biggest guilt trip where I throw in lines, you know, and I genuinely mean it, but just like, you know, I know you, man, you're better than this. Like, Hey man, when you get upset and you start yelling at the teacher, just like take a break, man, just recognize yourself. Hey, I need to go take a walk. And then come back and reassess yourself and think like, okay, how can I make this situation better right now? You know, I'm not going to, uh, you're not going to just yell and be, you know, a jerky middle schooler. Like you're better than that. Come back down because you still need to be in class. You got to get through the day. And I know your mom doesn't want to hear just another phone call. And ever since then, like that relationship building right there, the other day I just saw him, he, he, he was outside in the hallway. He got kicked out of class and he was waiting for the teacher to come talk to him. And I, I walked by him and I was just like, Hey man, what's going on? He was like, Oh, I got kicked out. Da, da, da. I'm like, okay, teacher's going to come out and talk to you. Yeah. She'll be out here in a couple minutes. I'm like, okay, communicate. Don't defend yourself communicate you know let her know what you were thinking in that moment keep your voice level and then apologize and it was like one of those just like whoa <laughs> i'm becoming mr rogers here did uh did he do it yeah yep yep did it and... work yes yeah he didn't get a detention. So I call, oh, I consider I guess that a win. What I, mean, I get, no, 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 that's absolutely a win. And you're thinking about it in the right way. Mm -hmm. What I meant was like, uh, did the teacher sort of hear his contrition and did they feel it was genuine? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good. because when it comes down to it, uh, you know, this, this kid tends to, when he defends himself, he gets very emotional and irrational. So, um, learning to just, Hey man, talk about it. 
you know, I said, you know, don't defend yourself, communicate. Um, right. And I, I also I, think it's interesting because if you haven't been around a lot of kids, mm-hmm. you don't realize how directly their behavior relates to what's being modeled at home. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. But often when you have a kid who has routine behavior issues or maybe has a particular thing that he or she does, you find out that this is how communication works at home. Yeah. And like you, so it isn't just that you have to teach what works to communicate, not defend yourself, but you have to like literally help kids unlearn bad lessons that they're continually being exhibited again and again and again in an environment with people who care about them and who love them, who aren't trying to teach them bad lessons. And when it comes it's down like, to it, it's not like they're actively going, Hey, let's fuck up our kid. Like they're just doing their best most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, you know, sometimes it's a lack of consistency. And so I recognize that I have to be that consistent figure. You know, I didn't ask to be that, <laughs> but I realized that's what I need for this student to be successful in this moment. That's my job is to make sure that this student leaves my school successful. So I'm going to do what I have to do to make that happen. What, what I, and I think there's a beautiful place to wrap up because I think what, what it says is that what you're willing to do is you're willing to do the Mr. Rodriguez show. You're willing to pull this kid, a kid aside. Now, Every good administrator or teacher is going to build those kinds of relationships. But it's a question of, like you said, being the consistent figure. Mm -hmm. Are you always going to do that? You know, the point is that you're saying my job is to do that every day to the best of my ability that day. Mm -hmm. And then you do things like do the mindfulness thing that Brad taught you how to do. Mm -hmm. And you start your day with that. And I think the reason that you're so great at this, Timmy, is because you're able to constantly just react. You're a creative person. You're somebody who, as you said, needs to do something different every day. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you can thrive in this environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thank God or whatever there is up there in the world that, that you're on the front lines doing it, man. And uh, you know, I, I will have to give a shout out to, everybody that's standing there with me, you know, um, cause I've learned, I've learned so much from the, you know, the teachers that I've had, you know, past and present, but I've learned a lot about being a teacher through the teachers that I work with, you know, like I said, Brad, oh, yeah, uh, he is somebody that has taught me so much of just how to talk to a kid. Um, and then, you know, you have other ones that like, you know, I, I work with a science teacher who is just like so creative. And every time I go into her classroom, it's just like a different but interesting way to like talk about, you know, external dissections. It's just like so it's like the community of musicians, you know, where I'm constantly oh, yeah. inspired by my musician friends, you know when they come out with a new album that is just like amazing, like you are inspired, you know? So I go into a classroom and I see, you know, these people do these creative lessons 
And then I become inspired and it makes me better at my job. Just like, you know, when you came out with your EP, uh, the, the stick rounds came out with that. What is it? Waiting for the click. Yeah. That four song EP. Like I remember driving down West river drive and I put that on and I was like, this is like the best sugar pop ever. I'm going to go home and write some sugar pop. This is so great. You know, <laughs> I love it. Thanks man. <laughs> uh, I think, um, I think what you're talking about in that idea of like people pushing each other, that, that, that sort of cooperative rising tide lifts all boats thing. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I've always felt like your analogy between music and, and education is wonderful. It's the same essence of it takes a village to raise a kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes a village, man. It's, I don't care if it's a band or a business or a child. You cannot do it alone. And if you could, don't. It would be a lot less interesting. Mm -hmm. It'd I mean, be a lot less interesting. It comes down to, on both aspects, like, I think my favorite part, as we're wrapping this up, my favorite part of both aspects, being a musician, being an educator, is the community. Um, oh, the people are amazing. I mean, it just, it isn't just that, it isn't just that it makes the thing you're doing better. It isn't just that the people that you're working with make it easier for you to do your job or make you better at your job. It's that they make your life better. Mm -hmm. They make your day better. Yep. They make your night better. Mm -hmm. They make your weekend better. And your and and the people that you know and love, the fact that you and I get to be a part of each other's lives is a gift. It's a mm -hmm. gift. Absolutely. And and we got that gift strictly because we both love the same thing and the same people. Mm -hmm. And because that love is genuine, it 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 grows and it gets bigger. And I, I just, I fail to see how that calculus and that math doesn't work the same way with a kid. Because I, I just, it just, you can't, you can't prove to me that it doesn't. It's the same thing. It's the same human yeah, emotional biology. Mm -hmm. It is. We all need to feel like what we. Ha you were talking earlier about, you know, saying, I, you look, this kid's not in shape to be here, but he's here, and I gotta be present for him, and I've mm -hmm. gotta. I've, I've got to listen to him and make him feel valued. Mm -hmm. You may be the only person that does that all day for that kid. Maybe, maybe. I just know that when he walks by me and I interact with him, like I'm going to be that guy, no matter what, no matter how bad my day is going, I, I am going to be that guy. I think we should all try to be that guy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being that guy. No problem. I'm going to just one more story, kind of just piggybacking on that. Let's go. Like the, especially with, the, with math. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, math was not my strongest subject. Nor okay. mine. So we had to take um, algebra. High school algebra was split up into two years. And that's kind of where I was at. I was that kid that had to take the two year long algebra course. Mm -hmm. um, first year I had this, drill sergeant teacher that just like drilled it into your head like to the point where you were just like oh my gosh if you say another equation like my head is going to explode shut up and then what would happen we'd take the test i would know everything second year i had another teacher um and this teacher was the kind of person that would i say he would teach to the teach to the whiteboard you know he would never yeah. turn around 
always just looking at the whiteboard, writing equations. Um, one time I went up to him cause I didn't understand an equation. And I was just like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite getting this. Like I'm trying to do it this way. Da, 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 da. And he just goes, well, the answer is in the back of the book. And I was just like, but, 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 but like you, you were saying we needed to like show work and stuff. So I want to make sure I'm doing it right. He's like, Oh, that's all in the back of the book. And I was like, really? And in my head, I was like, that's, that's what you're going to do. All right. I'm done with you, man. I'm done. Wow. I went back. I went back to my seat and I closed my book and I, I took an F that year because I was just over the fact that this guy wouldn't help me. You know, I took it, I took it personally. So, oh, well, how can you not? You're 15. Mm -hmm. So what I did, uh, I had to retake it the next year, but you had to have like a, a teacher's signature to retake it. And then the guidance counselor told me I had to go get this guy's signature. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he's just like, well, why not? I'm like, he's an awful teacher. I don't, I don't want him. I'm like, okay, well, just go get another math teacher's signature. I'm like, okay. So I went to my first teacher, the drill sergeant teacher. Yeah. And I walked up to him with this paper. Hey, man, I got, I got to take, you know, intro to algebra two again. Um, I need to have a teacher's signature. And he was just like, oh. Well, that's interesting. Okay. And he like signed the paper and he was just like, so like what was going on? And I, I kind of like said to him, just like, I didn't see eye to eye with the teacher. I didn't, I just didn't feel like he cared. Um, you know, tough concepts, da, 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 da. And he just stopped and he looked at me and he goes, you're going to do it this year. You're going to do it next year. You're going to, you're going to nail it out of the park. And I was just like, yeah. Yeah, I am. Thank you. <laughs> like that was just all I needed to hear was just any, someone say all any kid needs to hear. Someone says to me, hey, you're going to do it. And here I am believing I'm not good at math. But this person says, yes, you are. Yeah. Like that is what was needed. Had that teacher said that to me, then I probably wouldn't have failed out of, you know, intro to algebra two. Oh, to, to, to piggyback on what you're saying. Uh, it's the same thing I tell people all the time when they tell me they can't sing. Oh, yeah? And I just say, you just never learn how. Full circle here to the beginning of the conversation. When I met Tommy McCord, he could not sing. <laughs> he <laughs> tried his hardest, but he could not carry a tune. I mean, amazing musician. He could play everything then, but like, Stringing, uh, singing was not his song, like his strong point. Um, and yet his voice has gotten look at so him great. Now. He is oh one of the God. most dependable singers that I, I surround myself uh, with. I was so impressed when I went out on the road with those guys for a week. It was so great to, it was wonderful to have to like learn how to do specific singing again. It had been so long because mm. in the stick arounds, it's all, it's all just, it's autopilot, dude. We all know <laughs> where we're supposed to be. And if we yeah. don't know, we kind of suss it out, but we don't ever go, Oh, you know, uh, it's not that it's not, it's just take this. Here's your real estate. And then you kind of mm -hmm. do with it what you do with, with the Tommy and Danielle thing was like, 
Danielle's here. Tommy's here. You need to be there. Mm -hmm. And like that required a different level of focus than I was used to. And it was really good for me. And it, it, it re I already knew Tommy was a really good singer, but it reinforced for me how good. Mm -hmm. And that, that was like a, you know, a learned thing going from drinking mercury where I was always more of the low end. But now in Wild Honey, it's just like, okay, Tommy's got a harmony for Danielle right there. I'm going to see where I fit in right here. Okay, that let's change that up right there. Like, um, Wild Honey, man, they, they've just Wild taught honey. me how to be a singer. Singing. Okay, so the, speaking of the It Takes the Village thing, singing with other people is the most primal thing. There is something just so... Oh, you can't even put it into words. It's like, mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit like that feeling of kissing somebody for the first time. Yeah. Like it's, it's that rush of like, oh, this, there's this connection here and we we're both feeling it and we're kind of like, we're sensing it, but not talking about it. And it, it just, it's so great. It's just so pure and, and uh, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. it and really I, I'm at a loss for words. It's just beautiful. No, it really and, uh, and it's a really vulnerable thing to sing with other people too. And I think that's why it's beautiful because it's really, you really have to put yourself out there and kind of, kind of make yourself vulnerable. Especially when you have to make the voice that's doing the lead sound. And I, I mean this like, Danielle is a is an amazing singer. She's she's the best voice in Wild Hunt. <laughs> but it's there's true. times where she's singing and I know my job and like our job is to make Danielle's voice sound even better. Right. If that makes any sense like we have sense. to we have to harmonize with her to accent her voice to make her voice shoot forward and just sound better. And I mean, like she could, she could sing all of Wild Honey songs all by herself and it would sound great, but it we know that we have to, we have to be there to support it. You know, um, harmonizing is just, that's one of my favorite things that I've learned being Me a musician. Too. Me so. too. I love singing back up. Mm -hmm. Timmy, this was so much goddamn fun. This was oh, just this was great, dude. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I appreciate I love you, man. It. I just, I'm. I'm I'm so thrilled. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. There he goes, Timmy Rodriguez, one of the good ones. Thank you so much to Timmy for being here. Thank you for all of that work you're doing with the future youth of America, man. You are doing the Lord's work. Thank you to all of my other dear dear friends who are waging that same war in the classroom on so many fronts uh, you know who you are my heart is with you I love you and I appreciate you uh, I love and appreciate you for being here for being a part of this community remember head on over to the blog what am I making make sure that you're sharing that stuff you're voting in the Spielberg uh, bracket challenge that is ongoing now you're checking out the REM ratings. You're looking at the dinner and a movie stuff. There's great things going on over there, and I'm really proud of it, and I'm really excited about it, and I'm going to keep some of that going even while I'm on the other side of the world. 
Thank you again, my friends, for being here, for your support. I'll have some updates soon on that new subscriber push. Until then, I love you, and I appreciate you, and I will see you soon. Bye-bye. Positively delicious dose of Mattis and his ADHD.